Welcome back to the Pregnant Podcast, where we tell the extraordinary stories of how families are created with the help of science and technology. Today's story, Life After Death with IVF, is no exception. Today's episode is presented by EMD Serono, a leader in the fertility space for more than 20 years, helping couples throughout the fertility journey. They were there for the first IVF baby and more than 3 million since then. If you saw Lauren McGregor walking down the street, you'd see a woman glowing with pride that she's in her third trimester, pregnant with a baby she only dreamt about. What you wouldn't see is everything behind this pregnancy. The fact that Lauren is carrying the love of her life, Chris's baby, and that he will never be earthside to raise his son with her. You wouldn't see how devastating the year 2020 was for Lauren after Chris passed away. And you wouldn't know that despite these circumstances, Lauren still feels incredibly lucky. Lauren and her late partner, Chris, decided to freeze his sperm after he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was, it was a dream of ours to, to expand our family. And I suppose for, for some people, their, their road of grief is different. And Chris may have thought that I wouldn't have been strong enough to do it or maybe, maybe not yet. I needed longer. But for me, I just hope that he would be incredibly proud of the the journey that I'm coming to complete. And I hope that he realizes how much of a a massive part he is and was in my life for me to be so certain that, you know, I want his characteristics and his genes in a little person that I'm creating for, for both of us. She now shares her story in the hope that it can help others consider preserving their fertility when faced with a terminal illness to ensure that people fill out the necessary paperwork that she's so grateful to have filled out before Chris's death and to support others who look to build a family and life after death despite heartbreaking circumstances. Lauren... There's so much to discuss. I'm so honored that you are joining us here on the Pregnant Podcast. Thank you for having me. You know, I you wrote us and I got chills when I read your email and then I went into your account, Life After Death with IVF on Instagram, and I, I got lost in the, the posts about your journey. Before we go into that, which obviously... I have so many questions about, but I would love to just start with your love story. You clearly had so much respect and love for Chris and your relationship sounded so beautiful. I would just love to start there. How did you and Chris meet and tell me your love story? Chris was a wonderful, wonderful man. And actually we knew each other as children. He was five years older than I am. And his mother was my godmother. Our parents were best friends, went through high school together. As we got older, we kind of drifted apart because he was older. Um, So I last vaguely remember seeing him when he was around about 15. And then unfortunately, his mum passed away in 2012. And it brought our families back together. From there, I supported Chris with the grief of his mum. We just grew closer. and, And from that, we developed a relationship, which never ended. And turned into me supporting him through his own journey. Wow. It's so interesting that grief reconnected you. And now, again, you're in a grief chapter in your love story. When did you 
and Chris decide you wanted to have a baby. And can you tell me about Chris's diagnosis? Was it part of that or did that happen separately from this decision? We spoke quite early on about children and it was something that I definitely wanted. Chris has a 18-year-old son um, who I'm very, very close to, uh, very lucky to have him in my life. And it was something that, although we spoke about it quite often, life gets in the way and his diagnosis got in the way and treatment. So there was never quite a right time to actually start. When he needed chemotherapy in 2017, it was something we sat down and spoke about. And so that forced us then into banking sperm. Fortunately for Chris, the chemotherapy didn't affect his sperm whatsoever. It actually came back four times stronger. So it was something that we never, ever thought we would need. But I'm ever so thankful that we did bank it when we did because it's put me in in the position I'm in today, which I am very grateful for. Wow. So Chris is, you know, was going through chemotherapy, which I can only imagine the stress you both experienced during that time. And to think about growing a family, what did you experience at the time? What did Chris experience at that time? And together, what did you experience as you made that decision to freeze his sperm? It just became part of the, the protocol, I suppose. It was another step we needed to take. So we'd been on this journey so far where once he was diagnosed with the tumor, the very end of 2013, he had an operation early 2014 to remove as much as they could. So the diagnosis was quite early on into our relationship. And we lived every day with that diagnosis, constantly looking for symptoms to change or for the surgeon to intervene. So it does, I suppose, make you take life a bit more seriously and you have to think long term. The decision I made of of having a, a baby after he died, I suppose for me, I was always going to end up a single parent because we always knew that the diagnosis would eventually take him, uh, regardless of whether it was five years to 10 years, 15 years. I was always going to be a single mum. I just hoped that it would have been whilst he was here for him to be able to meet the baby. And for us, we did decide at the very end of 2019, it was probably the right time to start. And just unfortunately, his diagnosis worsened much quicker than what we ever could have imagined. And COVID came in, um, which made everything 10 times worse. Um, But yeah, it was definitely, it was always on the cards. We chose names together, which I've kept, whether it was a boy or a girl. So I, I do feel like he's helped with the journey before I was even on it. That just also gives me the chills that he and you so openly discussed life after death with IVF. Yes. What did he say about this process, knowing that you might be a single, or that you would be a single parent? How did he feel about that, and what did he share with you about that? Chris was always very optimistic about his diagnosis, but also very realistic he always had the idea that he wouldn't live past 40, which he was correct, and that he would die young. I suppose for him, he was more worried about leaving me behind rather than him leaving and and me be like what I would have to cope with, I suppose, after he'd gone. In terms of a person, he always said that there was nothing. I was the strongest person he knew. He'd never be able to repay me for everything I'd done for him. He just believed that 
I was the rock within our relationship. So there was nothing that would ever break me or that I wouldn't be able to handle. And for him, he was very grateful of that. So every time his diagnosis changed, he would look to me to see how I'd taken the news. And if I'd taken it well, it allowed him to carry on fighting. I think if I ever shown that I was worried about what was to come, he would have experienced a different outcome himself. Well, there's no doubt you're strong. I mean, the fact that you have so boldly gone on this journey, shared your story, and are really Chris's legacy is shining through your story and how how wonderful a person and a love of your life he was and is. I know that you mentioned Chris has an 18-year-old, uh, your stepson. Yes. How did he take this, uh, this news of you wanting to have a baby after Chris passed? How did he experience that? So he always knew we were going to have children. We spoke openly about it to Wade. I didn't tell him when I was having the fertility treatment, only because I didn't want to put the pressure of another loss in his life or the pressure of him being worried about what journey I was going on. So I waited until I was successfully pregnant and I was out of the safe zone or into the safe zone after 12 weeks. He shed a few tears. He thanked me for giving him a piece of his dad back. He's just very grateful that I'm still in his life and we still play a great stepmom and stepson role. He's just wonderful. And there's so many traits in him that his dad's, which I'm so grateful for, for the baby to experience too. That's such a good point, you know, that a piece of Chris is in Wade and that the the baby, his brother, will will learn about Chris not only through you, but through through Wade. That's so beautiful. Definitely. It's, it's hard for me not to cry listening to this story because, mm-hmm. and I know, you know, anyone listening would feel this the same way because it seems so unfair that this wonderful person and this beautiful love story and this great family doesn't have Chris Earth side to raise him. But I have seen on your Instagram, you feel that Chris's presence is surrounding you. Can you talk to us about that? I massively feel Chris around, whether it's um, little signs, little feelings. He's just, I believe that he's in everything that I do. If ever I'm stuck or, or wondering about a decision to make, I tend to kind of think what he would advise me. And normally he would sometimes go against what I'd want to do because he was the level-headed one. And I do put the level head on to try and think of how he would react. But definitely there's, you know, I believe a little Robin comes to visit me every day. And I believe that is, is, is through Chris. And I had a scan picture, which you can see on my Instagram, when I was about 12 weeks, I think, pregnant. And the outline of the the scan is is unbelievable. It doesn't really look like a, a baby's profile. It looks like the size of Chris's, which I have put side by side. Um, and no other scanners look like it since, but it definitely looks like the size of his of his dad. I saw that and that really made me stop in my tracks. I yeah, how can we explain these things? Does it when you hear and by the way, a really interesting part that I've learned about grief and when we lose close people is when they're not physically present, when you're so deeply connected as you and Chris are, you can still hear them advise, share, support, uh, know what they would 
say. It's almost like that's how close you were. You know exactly how he would respond. So how often do you connect with that? Do you feel like it's daily through your pregnancy? Do you feel like it just comes in waves or you see these signs and then you're back there? Is it omnipresent? Can you tell us about that? I suppose it's daily. I don't really feel like he's ever left. And I know that sounds really bizarre because the grief is still very, very raw all this time later. But if I'm pottering about upstairs, I just feel like he's downstairs or he's making us both a cup of tea. I still feel like he's in the house, even though I know he isn't. Decisions I've made about the baby's nursery, I can honestly hear him in my head saying, you know, no, it's a bit girly or we're having a little boy or I don't like that colour. And so it does put me on the path of kind of thinking about his opinion. Um, and that that does massively help. It brings me massive comfort just to think that he he is around. So getting pregnant, what was your fertility journey like? Because on Pregnantish, we know that that process is not easy or linear for people usually. What was your experience in a nutshell, if if you don't mind sharing it? No, not at all. I suppose I was with a large part of the population that is misconceived, I suppose, by IVF. I was under the influence that you had IVF as a different form of having a baby and it was near enough successful every time. It was only when I actually started going through the process myself and got involved with my Instagram page and was only speaking to those going through fertility issues that it became so apparent how many struggles there are for so many couples and individuals who are going it alone. For me, I do count myself extremely lucky that I only had to go through one cycle of IVF and that I became positive at the end of that. And I do also have really good quality embryos in the freezer in case I want to do this process again in the future. Whereas others that I speak to, you know, my heart breaks for them, even though I'm going through my own grief. I found the actual process of IVF for me a really positive, supportive and successful one. Whereas there are couples and individuals out there who are on their seventh, eighth and ninth round and and still no baby earthside. And it's just heartbreaking what you have to do. But I am so grateful that the science is there to be able to achieve this. It's amazing. You might know my story. I went through 18 fertility treatments over almost eight years. And I call myself, I joke, I'm an ovary achiever um, because uh, it became a marathon, not a race. But anything that's, uh, to your point, the grief surrounding infertility is heavy enough The stakes are so high with the money you're spending, the time you're spending, the the shots you're taking. What kind of support did you get not knowing what the outcome would be when you underwent fertility treatments? It it is a long journey, IVF, and I can't imagine going through anything like what you did. For me, the hospital and clinic that I'm under were supportive from day one. They completely understood why I was going on the journey. They were helping me fill out the the forms and paperwork. It was the same clinic where Chris had banked his sperm originally. And so there was some of the same workers that still work there. So I didn't really have a struggle or a fight. In terms of personally, there was only very, very few people 
who knew what I was doing and they were extremely supportive in in what I was doing I think there was a little bit of worry in case it didn't work and would that make my grief 10 times worse but it was something that I was never not going to do I was never not going to have Chris's child and I genuinely believed that he would do it for me and so with that belief and I think my just determination to go ahead with it thankfully my body served me well The length that so many of our guests go to to create their families is always awe-inspiring. And I so appreciate when I can have candid discussions with guests about infertility and modern family building. I wanted to take a brief moment to thank today's episode sponsor, EMD Serono, who has been a leader in the fertility space for more than 20 years. EMD Serono has long-standing commitment to the infertility community, offering patients resources, medications, and support. Today, EMD Serono continues to prioritize patients on their fertility journey with various support options, from financial assistance and access to contacting live support staff. And their newly evolved Fertility Lifelines program helps those navigating their fertility treatment options making it easier for patients to determine their eligibility for medication savings by improving the financial assistance process and access for eligible patients. For more, visit fertility.com. And now, back to Lauren's story. So in terms of uh, Chris banking his sperm, I did read in one of your posts you were worried you would run out of his sperm and now you have embryos in the freezer. That must bring you comfort. I can only imagine also how high the stakes are. Did you and Chris talk about what if it didn't work? Or what, what kind of conversations did you have about your future family and your baby? Chris always said when something happened to him, he didn't want me to waste my life being miserable because it would have been a waste of both of our lives. And he wanted me to very much live for him, whether that was going along this journey or choosing to go on a journey where I met somebody else and had a family that way. For me, meeting somebody else, it's just not an option at the moment. I'm just not interested. And so I'm 33. You know, I I do, as a woman, we all know our biological time is ticking. I didn't want to leave it any longer. And for me, having a a piece of Chris back in my life far outweighs me going out there and and having a single life again. I just know he'd be so supportive of it. You know, he would support anything. He was my biggest fan when it came to anything that we'd done and we supported each other with every decision. So for me, there was no second guessing. This was something. I actually made the decision to do this um, within a month of him dying. I just had to go through a nine-month waiting period because the clinic wanted to make sure that I was kind of dealing with grief, which I am very grateful they done, but I don't regret my decision in any way, shape or form. If I haven't settled down in the next couple of years, I would definitely consider using one of the other uh, frozen embryos. Mm, to expand your family again. Yes. So in... I know you, you're very passionate about spreading awareness. And when you wrote us at Pregnantish, you did say that part of your goal, not only to share your, your beautiful love story, but to spread awareness about the paperwork that you are so grateful was in order 
before he died. Can you speak about that with our audience? Of course. So when I know when you're going through uh, fertility treatment, there are lots of forms to sign. You know, there are lots of, of situations and they, they want everything noted down on paper. And depending on whether it's the female or male that has, has some of the issues, the forms are slightly different. There isn't actually a form given to every general everyday couple. You only get the after-death consent form if it's to do with banking due to chemotherapy or, or cancer treatment. The amount, since I've opened my Instagram page, the amount of women who have reached out from right across the world who have suddenly lost their partner, they do have embryos banked or they do have sperm banked and the clinics are not allowing them to use it because those forms aren't signed. Luckily for me, the form was part and parcel of what we were doing. So they were all filled out at the same time. I just think it's it's so unfair that without that signature, they can't move forward in, in bringing a piece of their partner back. But yeah, they went through the the ordeal of banking it in the first place or making the embryos in the first place. So if the partner had agreed to do that why would the partner not agree for their you know their love to carry on after they had passed so it is it is about spreading awareness that you know if you are going through this whether you're a cancer treatment especially if you're doing cancer treatment but also just general everyday fertility why can there just not be a little tick box on there to say that that is something that they can do because you don't know how many years that's going to be in storage for and you don't know what's around the corner. And I just think it would really change the lives of so many widows. 100%. You know, fertility lawyers, we've spoken to many over the years at Pregnantish, and this is such a new territory, making science, you know, making families with the help of science is just over 40 years old. For those who don't know, uh, Louise Brown, the first IVF baby, is just over 40 years old. That was in the UK, of course, the first IVF baby. We had Elizabeth Carr on the Pregnant podcast, the first American, quote-unquote, test tube baby in December of uh, 2021. She was on the Pregnant podcast. So, you know, we're looking at something that's under 50 years old. And so that's quite new when we think of, you know, history, but it's not new enough that these things shouldn't be in place. You are not, as you, as you say, Lauren, you are not the first, nor are you the last person to have this dream and this desire to create life after death with IVF. Again, your Instagram handle uh, is that. And I think that, um, I, I think it's wonderful you're using your voice in this way because we know that this is not going to go away. You know, a lot of times when we are contacted at the Pregnant Podcast, and I, I've heard from fertility lawyers about divorces where one person wants to hold on to an embryo and the other doesn't, that's completely different because in this case, yeah. now we have two living beings who are no longer in a relationship. And I think they are too often comparing these two situations, uh, which are totally different. So... I know and I so appreciate that you've used your platform to try to create this change. And I just wondered, you know, what was it like you, that first day that you came out with your story? How did you feel and what response did you get? And today, what response have you gotten? When I first opened my Instagram account, I was anonymous. I didn't say 
who I was. I didn't give out any names and I kept it very quiet. And that was just for myself, I suppose, to protect from any negativity because everyone is entitled to their opinion and nobody knows how they will deal with a situation until they're in it themselves. I was pleasantly surprised, I suppose, and almost shocked. I've not had, even to today, I haven't had a bad a bad word said about the journey. Everyone thinks it's such a beautiful thing. And I'm sure there are people out there who maybe don't agree with, with bringing a child into the world without a father. In my situation and, and what helped me kind of make that decision was, as I mentioned, I was always going to be a single parent. And so if I'd have had a little one with Chris while he was here, would I regret having them because they now don't have a dad? And no, I wouldn't, not for a second. But the support I've had off the ladies and gentlemen on my Instagram account has been just phenomenal. And I'm forever grateful to them that they reach out. It's like we almost know when you need a little bit of a pick-me-up. And because we're all on the journey together with the injections and, and with the worry and with the expectations that you pray with everything you've got for it to work. It's a community that you definitely don't want to be a part of, but you are ever so grateful that they're there and you each root, you, you root on, you live with them on that journey. So when they do have a success or I had a successful pregnancy, you feel like they're right alongside you. And so I am forever grateful for that support. Yeah, the infertility community, just like you said, nobody wants to be in it, but it becomes a lifeline for so many people to get the support and the wisdom and the even insight. At times, you're so confused during this process. It's just helpful to have peers who understand what you're going through and don't give you advice that so many people want to share when you're going through IVF, but who don't know what the process is. I wondered if your preg- your pregnancy right now, do you think it's been harder to navigate or easier, maybe it's both, without Chris? Emotionally, it's, it, it's obviously hard every day without him. The pregnancy itself has been a difficult one, not just for the emotional side, but also symptoms. Really early on, I, I suffered with horrific sickness which the clinic put down to a condition called hyperemesis so the you are literally bed bound or or sofa bound um, you can't do much so I did really feel missing his presence at that point where you instantly go to shout for someone to get you a glass of water or um, a biscuit to help with the nausea and then as my pregnancy has progressed the weight of your bump starts to limit what you can do. Um, again, it's little things where, you know, helping me get out the bath or helping me put socks on, things that I would have naturally taken for granted. You, it intensifies and it magnifies the fact that he's not here, um, especially when you're going out and choosing things um, for his nursery or Wade has been a massive help and I do see Wade weekly. And so although he's not his dad, it's great to have his insight. And so we, we made the bargaining chip that obviously he can't be in the room whilst I'm I'm in labour. Nobody wants to to see that with with this stepson. I think it's scarring for life. But he is going to carry his little brother out of the hospital in his mm. uh, car seat, which is 
you know, it's normally the, the, the photograph that you want, isn't it, of the father doing. Um, so Wade is going to do that on behalf of Chris. If Chris were here or listening and maybe you're connecting to him and he is right now, what would you say to him right now? I suppose it's just a look like we've done it. You know, it's it, it was a dream of ours to to expand our family. And I suppose for for some people, their, their road of grief is different. And Chris may have thought that I wouldn't have been strong enough to do it or maybe maybe not yet. I needed longer. But for me, I just hope that he would be incredibly proud of the, the journey that I'm coming to complete. And I hope that he realises how much of a, a massive part he is and was in my life for me to be so certain that, you know, I want his characteristics and his genes in a little person that I'm creating for, for both of us. But I think the, the journey that I've been on, I do believe that he has helped in, in navigating that with me. Well, Lauren, your your story we will continue to follow. It's beautiful, inspiring, and what a what a powerful love story at the heart of it it is. Where can people find you and follow along? My main platform is on Instagram. It's Life After Death with IVF, and you can follow both mine and Baby McGregor on our journey as we we finish off our final trimester. And fingers crossed everything goes smoothly in, in bringing them into the world. And I will keep updates on there of, of the labor and the journey that I go on. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to, to um, follow along. And thank you again for being on the Pregnantish Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So thanks for listening to another inspiring episode of the Pregnish Podcast, where we cover the incredible lengths people go to to create their families and where we try to destigmatize infertility. Infertility is defined by the World Health Organization and the CDC as a disease. There should be no shame about this. Thanks for listening to this powerful storytelling, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Until next time.